What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Casey Bremmels, the co-founder of Ping Pong Productions. This was great. Never met Casey before. We got introduced by a mutual friend. We said, hey, we're both going to be in Austin. Let's do it there. We had a quiet conference room all to ourselves, and I'm so happy we met. We had never been in a room together. Never been introduced. I don't know how that's possible. I've been a big admirer of ping pong for some time now. They occupy this very specific space, which Casey refers to as the Ooga Booga space. We're talking supernatural, alien, adventure, mystery shows. We all know Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates. I hear the story of how they first got into business with Josh and discovered him. But the real, I don't know, fascinating portion of this interview for me was the story of Dr. Pimple Popper. It is a great lesson for all you producers out there and developers out there of never giving up on an idea that you believe in because they had the opportunity to give up on this one. They got rejected and yet they stuck with it. And now it's a phenomenon. It's one of the biggest shows in the history of TLC. Casey was good enough to give me the whole scoop on how it came together. We talked Bigfoot. We talked alien shows. We talked what Casey believes about say, the supernatural and the the monster space, given all the shows he's done. This is my sit-down with Casey Brummels. I hope you enjoy it. So this is going to be exciting for me because we've never met before. True. I've heard... Brilliant things about you from our shared friend, Erica Cornwall. Okay. Uh, All lies, but <laughs> Michi- continue on. Michigan State. Yes. And also, I'm just fascinated with the shows that Ping Pong has done. Okay. Um, I guess maybe the best place to start is, how's your real screen going? Because we're doing this in a conference room right now. It's real screen 2023. We're in Austin. How has it been for you seeing so many familiar faces after so long? You know, it's 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 nice. We all have, as everybody does right now, so much Zoom fatigue. I mean, we're just we're we're done with the computers and 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 staring at people's faces, you know, through through the internet. And it's nice to be back, like you know, face to face with people and and being able to read each other a little bit better and be able to get a little more insight. I think when you're sitting across a table from somebody. You know, and and just like the good times and the smiles and the laughs and the, hey, do you remember this kind of stuff that you don't really, that seems to be cut out when you're doing everything over the internet. You know what I mean? Right, right. I know. It, it. Someone told me today it was like a high school reunion. Yeah. You know, and catching up with folks and people have moved jobs since. It's just, it's good to be back. It's good to get some, it's, it's not fully back. It's a different world that we live in. And you have seen, I mean, definitely through the, the spectrum of, you know, the, the, the cable market and the shows you guys have done, you have seen kind of like the ebbs and flows of various market corrections and corporate mergers and, and things of that. You're smiling now oh. as, as I say this, but you've, you've seen the ups and downs. I'm not smiling oh. on the inside. <laughs> well, let's, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. So you went to Michigan State. I did. But what was the gig that got you going in L.A.? What brought you first out here? I, I graduated and started in marketing for, okay. for quite a while. For the for the first couple of years, I did get a little closer work. to the microphone. Sorry. Yeah. So for the first couple of years, I was in marketing, okay. which is kind of what I was. I, I, I was a communications major, you know, like yeah. no real direction. Had marketing as as an emphasis, okay. and and did some work in marketing for a bit, um, launching like products and launching brands for 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 companies around the country. 
and found myself in San Diego. I lived in San Diego, just kind of messing around for a few oh, years down on Pacific Beach. My favorite place in the world. It was a very nice transition out of college uh, into real life because it's kind of not real life down there. It's, 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 a, it's a halfway house into the real world, I yep. think, if you live in Pacific Beach. But eventually got to the point to where I was like, okay, I need to start making a career and making a life for myself. So I knew two guys who lived up here in L.A. Not here, sorry. Lived up in L.A. And I moved up there. I slept on their couch. And I was just going to kind of make a, make a run of things and see and how what it did, went. What did you think making a run of it was at that point? Did you have, did you say, I want to go chase TV dreams? I didn't know. I didn't know at first. Um, but as, as, as it would be, as it would eventually play out, one of my friends knew somebody that was hiring PAs at MTV. Hmm. And, you know, back in that day, um, a job at MTV sounded pretty cool for there, a young kid. There was no cooler job. There was no cooler job. Because they really cornered or had the entire market of the youth audience at that point. It wasn't like now where they're competing with Instagram and TikTok and other social platforms. Like MTV was the home for teens and early 20s, right? And there was really zero competition. It, it was everything from from the spring break programming to like you know, the dating shows, it was just kind of like, it was the very beginning, I think of reality, right? I mean, um, real world was kind of one of the first reality shows yeah. ever. Right. And, and what era is this at MTV when you get off for this PA job? This is 2001, 2001. So is yeah. that like, oh, this is already after like singled out and, and that era, are we, are we at like Osborne stage of MTV yet? Osborne, I think was another half a year away. Okay. Cause I remember when I was working at MTV that came out. So this is in okay. the era of the the very highly coveted and amazing shows, um, such as Dismissed. Oh yes. Such as Next. Next. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was that era. Oh god, yeah. Yes. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you get the PA job. I get a PA job on Dismissed, this, this dating show. I didn't know kind of what I was doing. You know, I, I had um, uh, I kind of just got in and started working. You know, and and I come from. You know, a lot of a, a kind of a blue collar background, so I don't mind getting my hands dirty. And I mm -hmm. think that back then, when you were a PA, you were like you were hauling garbage, and you were yep. you you could be security one day, you could be work <laughs> a van, a van, a yeah. van driver, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, van, are, oh, lots of driving these around are non, contestants. These, these are non union shows, so you're driving people, you're driving equipment, you're yeah. picking up crafty, you're picking up. I mean, yep. you're doing it all. Yep. You know, back then. Um, but you know, listen, MTV back then was the place where you could go in and you could really make something of yourself very quickly because you know that place was run by kids it was all run by kids you know i like i think the oldest person there was probably like 29 yeah you know and nobody knew what they were doing but they would give you a camera and you would go out and you'd shoot something you would come back and you edit it and they put it on tv you know you could really cut your teeth you could really learn yeah trial by fire back then um, you know, so, so I'm very grateful to have had that opportunity at that time because it allowed you to learn editing, shooting, producing all of it. You know, you got to do all of that at one stop, which is, which is pretty great. So where did you go from there? What, what kind of, how, and how long did it take until you one day cross paths with, with Brad? Like how, what was, what came after MTV? We, we were still a ways away after MTV. Um, you know, I kind of reached a kind of a ceiling there, I think, yeah. and, and decided to kind of go out and start working a couple you know, freelance jobs. So it'd be, you know, for, for, for a couple years, I just danced from, from show to show within MTV, I worked for MTV News and Docs, and then went and did Dismiss, and then, you know, a bunch of other things as they came up. So um, I started kind of like looking around, and through some contacts, I got an, uh, an interview for a director job on a show that was a British 
show that they were bringing here to the U.S. They had shot a couple episodes with no director. It was kind of a mess. So I went in uh, and met with Craig Armstrong. Oh, my who, God. Yes. I know Craig Armstrong. Such a phenomenal guy. This is this is Craig Armstrong of, uh, I did King of the Nerds with Craig. Okay. Um, right? This is yes. the Craig, same Craig Armstrong. Okay. The most amazing guy. I went and met him, you know, talked with him for 15 minutes. And he's like, sounds great. You, you want to direct the show for us? And the show was Super Nanny. So he really kind of, you know, went on a limb and gave me this, this kid from MTV a shot to direct this network show. And uh, Directing. Yeah. An, yeah AB, an ABC show. Yeah. Yeah. That Which, was a, that's a big jump. It was, you know, it was, it was, you know. Had you called many cameras at MTV? Had you been in a truck? Had you, had you ran? A, the, couple, a couple times, but yeah. not in that capacity, right? Not, this is, not wait, to like. Crazy. That's crazy. So you get, you get this job coming from MTV where you're kind of a jack of all trades. And now you are running Video Village and calling cameras for an ABC broadcast network show. Yes, it was my it was my it was my break. You know, I, he he gave it to me, and and I I'd like to think I kind of took advantage of it as best I could. So amazing. Yeah, so it, that was a big break for me. You know, and that allowed me to kind of, you know, I was able to get an agent then. Like it just a whole nother world opened up kind mm -hmm. of around that. And mm -hmm. I and I worked on that show for probably about two and a half seasons. Mm -hmm. We did that before. It was a hit. It was a huge hit. It was a massive hit. You know, and it was a it was a super interesting experience. You know, we were. A, a very small team that would get together and you know we would land in you know in in baltimore on a on a tuesday we start rigging out the house and building out the house and, and lighting it and um you know running cables out to the to the rv that we had and then and then you know we'd shoot for a couple of days and we'd pack it all back up and we head to the next city you and know I, to the next family and i think craig told me one time like the way you guys maybe blocked out the schedule and the bookings of, of the show is this right that you would kind of uh, cast two families in a, a proximity of each other, like in the same region, right? So that yeah. way you could piggyback, like one week could be spread across two different families, right? That were within driving distance from each other. Yeah, totally. Okay. You know, so that way we're not flying across the country and back because we, right. you know, we travel all of our own gear, you know, right. on that show. So we'd pack it all up in the trucks and the RV and we'd head to the next place. Okay, so you have two and a half seasons of Super Nanny under your belt. Yep. You are now a broadcast certified reality director. Where do we go from there? From there, um, from there, I had a job, and this this brings into the Brad into the equation here. So from there, I I don't remember what I did. I finished that, and then I I think I started interviewing, right, looking for another show. Um, I got an opportunity for an interview with Brad, who's who's my business partner, and it was for a show that Travel Channel was going to do. Okay. It was like the first HD show that they were going to attempt, and it was called A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Okay. It was based off a very popular travel book at the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, Scott Stone was the executive producer, and it was his his company putting it together. And, um, you know, so I, I went and interviewed, and Brad ended up hiring me to direct that show. Okay. So we are going to travel around the world for three and a half months, go to, you know, 12 different countries, stay in these beautiful hotels. How many episodes is this? Oh, man. I, th I want to say we did probably about 10, I would say. And is, is this one of those classic travel channel shows where there was no host, just voiceover, and it's all B-roll? No. This okay. was, they had picked a couple. This couple happened to be out of Denver, and we were experiencing the, their journey to all these different Got places. It. So okay. it was kind of a follow okay. travel. You know, we'd split off kind of B-teams occasionally and go shoot some B-roll of, of a, a restaurant or hotel or this attraction but for the most part we were following around this couple who, who okay. got this amazing experience to go out on this this trip around the world 
And now, if your background at this point and your your specialty, your expertise is directing, what w- what was Brad? Where was Brad? He was the showrunner. He was the showrunner. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So so already you guys are kind of learning what it's like to be partnered in a production together, wearing separate hats. Yeah. Yeah. For okay. sure. But but about a week. Well, we'll call it two weeks before we were supposed to leave on this giant trip, right? We were packing for four months to go around. Um, Brad gives me a call. And he's like, hey, man, I got, I got some bad news. He's like, we've relooked at the budget, and we're unfortunately are not going to be able to bring a director mm. and a DP out on the road with us. Mm. And I was just, you know, gutted, right? You're like, all this buildup, all this excitement, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity – and then um, he's like, we just can't afford to do both. Mm. And I said, well, what if I DP the show? And he said, do you, well, do you know how to use these cameras? This was when Varicams just came out. And I was right. like, yeah. And like you, you said, the first high definition, right? The yeah, first yeah. HD show. Right. Them, yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course. I know how to use those. And he's like, all right, well, let me go. Let me, let me talk to Scott and we'll, we'll see what we can't pull together. Hung up the phone. I'd, I've never shot in that camera before. I had no idea how, how to use those things. That was way above the PD-150s that we were using at MTV. But I had cameras on my shoulder, and I, you know. I knew I'm it was like, coming. I yeah. knew it was coming. Yeah. So, you know, they say fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. So it, it, he ended up calling back and saying, okay, you're going to DP it, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll let the other DP know that he's out. So then I went, I don't remember if it was to VER or someplace, and mm-hmm. got my hands on a, you know, on a Varicam, and I just started practicing and playing with it, wow. you know, figuring out how to use it. Um, I never quite got all the internal settings <laughs> figured out, but, you know, enough that I could, you know, kind of go through. And the show, thankfully, turned out gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was, you know, just this kind of, you know, beautiful look at, you know, the, the, the amazing places around the world. And it, uh, it turned out very well. All right, so how many productions do you guys do together for, for Stone? How does the relationship start to form between you guys? That was the only one. So, oh. so we, we did that show, like I said, three and a half, four months around the, around the world. Came back, had started a friendship at that point. And one night, you know, over a couple beers, he's like... You know, how, how many months later are we talking? Oh, I don't know, a month or two later. That's it? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is like when my grandparents got married. This is, this, this is like a World War II marriage story. Like my grandparents got married after knowing each other for like two months. Right, right. You know what I mean? They spent the rest of their lives together. You know, this is like, I've never heard of yeah. a, a company being formed so quickly. Well, you know, he was, he had been trying for a while, you know, and, okay. and his, his pitch to me was like, listen, I've been looking for a partner. I haven't been able to find anybody. Like, what do you think about starting a, a production company with me? And I said, all right, well, yeah, that sounds good. What do we do? And he said, I have no idea. And neither of us did. Yeah. Like, we didn't know how to, we didn't even really know what that meant, right? Right. Um, or, or what to do or where to start or how to get going. Tell me if I'm wrong, but because bo- both of you at that point were not in the pitching and packaging and selling no. game, right? I, he was a showrunner, you were a director, so you were both staffing. We were both work for hire freelance guys. Right. So, in, in, right. So exactly. So when you guys decided to form a company, like what did that mean at that point for you guys? What did you think? Was well, we next? didn't know. Right. Yeah. We didn't know. So we we stopped taking outside work. I think at the time, Brad had um, between when we got back and we had this conversation, he had got the first season of Celebrity Rehab. He was sure mm. running that. Mm. So he finished that out. Um, I kind of wrapped up a couple like loose ends and then we just stopped taking all outside work. We were diligent. We met at his kitchen table every single morning. We spent the day coming up with concepts and ideas and, you know, just started kind of formulating things from there, putting stuff on paper, going out and shooting tapes, 
you know, and, and bringing this back around, you know, he also came up through MTV as well. So mm. we were f- very fortunate in the fact that <clears throat> because we came up that world, we knew how to cut, we knew how to shoot, we knew how to edit, we knew how to write. Yeah. And we were able to do all those things ourselves That's instead very of having to hire everybody else in. Yeah. And just adding another bump in the road for, for trying to start a company. That's know? very rare, as you know now, because like now where you are and you've hired many, many people and had many people come through ping pong, I'm sure, over the years. You probably see in the current crop of candidates how rare it is that someone can do all those things you just said that yeah. have like a five tool player, so to speak. Right. Barely any, you yeah. know, um, and there's less and less. And that's and that's bad. You know, that's kind of a shame. You yeah. know, like there's some old school folks that's, that can still do that. Right. And I think. Most importantly, out of those skills, if you're looking to be a producer, whatever you're looking to do is knowing how to edit, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, it gets, it's tough when you try to hire people and, you know, they're a story producer or a field producer or a field director and they don't know how to edit, you know, because you almost have to kind of be looking in the reverse. You have to be thinking about how you're going to piece the story together while you're in the field. It makes it more efficient, makes it quicker. You're shooting less. <clears throat> you have shorter days. Yep. But to your point... A lot of people don't know how to do that anymore. And it would really be beneficial, I think, if more people did know how to edit. That's right. That's right. Okay, so you start the company. Yes. You don't necessarily know what that means. Yes. Do you remember what that first gig was where it's like, oh, money in the corporate bank account? Yes. Was it like a for hire gig it, it, where a company's like, let's like, have you guys do this? Um, yes, it was a network, actually. So we, yeah. we put a bunch of stuff together. And this is back in the day when you could take out a one pager and yeah. you would sell it. Oh. You, know, you could sell it. Oh, you know, Casey. we would sell 12, 15 shows a year at that. <laughs> now, none of them really went anywhere, right? They, yeah. they kind of died there. But you at least got that satisfaction of selling something off of a one sheet, right. you know, or off of a concept or a napkin. My God. Um, so our, our first big break for the company actually came from sci-fi at the time. Back oh. when sci-fi used to do you know, sure. unscripted programming. I know they used to be a full on, full on network that they, was on the circuit. They had a, they had a market, you know, they yep. had the market. They had that Comic-Con crowd That's showing right. up. You oh, know? there was a show I used to love on, on sci-fi just as a fan. It was called Hollywood treasures. Do you remember the show? I do remember that show. This was later. This was like 2000, I want to say like nine ish, but it was like, it was just, this guy had a, a auction house in LA and they would find these like hard to find yep. Hollywood relics. And then at the end of the episode, they get auctioned off. But I freaking love that show. And I think they maybe did maybe three or four seasons of it yeah. before it was over. I don't, I don't remember who produced it. It might have been Pelagian. I don't, I don't even know. But I love that one. There was a good, and there was a good run, Face Off. Yeah. Right? That was, a, that was a, one of the first big uh, competition shows that, that really worked show. and resonated. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what was the show at Sci-Fi when they call you? So they called us when they had a show that they – had I think they bought six episodes. They went out and shot one, and they started getting cuts of it of it in by this other company, and it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> so they needed to swap somebody out. Brad had previously produced a show for them as mm. a showrunner, mm. so they called him and said, "Hey, will you come in and and showrun this?" And he said, "Yeah, I'll do it, but I want to run it under my shingle, mm-hmm. under my company that mm-hmm. I just started." Mm-hmm. And um, for some reason, they said yes. Still, still don't know why, but they, they said yes, and that started us down this path. Um, of that show was called Destination Truth. Okay. Uh, it was the first time we worked Josh Gates, who oh. still to this day, coming up on twenty years later, we. That's still, how you met Josh Gates. That's how I met Josh Gates. Yeah. So he hosted Destination Truth. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he hosted that show, and we ended up doing 
man, I want to say seven or eight seasons of that show um, up until the point to when sci-fi just cut off doing any unscripted. Look at that, though. You get that incoming call, like, hey, can you fix this for us? It's not working with the other company. And you end up getting seven, eight seasons. And yeah. when you get seven, eight seasons, you now have a company fully up and running. Yes. And I always say, like, sometimes people need to make a deal just to get a show in production because shows begets other shows. Like, networks need to see that you've got stuff going. And if you're a startup company, you might not like your deal. This first show might not be what you dreamed of in terms of like the financials involved in it, but you got one going. And when you get one going, you can reference that to other networks and you build a portfolio. Sorry for the tangent. No, that that's a very great point, you know, and, it, and it's one I think that, that, um, like how know, did, how much, yeah, how oh, much did things take off for you after you got that first show? It was show? huge, you yeah. know, it was huge because listen, and, and you got to understand it from the network's point of view. They're like, I don't know who this person is. And they right. just, they want to go, you know, they want me to hand them a couple million dollars and go make a show. Like, right. you know, they want to work with somebody who they're comfortable with, right? And whether whether that avenue for you is partnering with another production company or taking one on the chin and doing it for less, whatever that route is, that can only help you out. Because now it's like, now you have a proven track record, right? right. Now there is one less, you know, barrier in the way for them to say yes to your next project. And this really sets you guys off from like what I could gather, you know, from everything I've read and looked up. This really sets you guys up for being a company that really starts to own the, a specific space. And, and, and I would love to hear how you characterize it. Cause for me on the outside, it's like the mystery adventure treasure space. Those are like three separate buckets, uh, paranormal as well, obviously yeah. in there, but how do you, how do you describe what the, the foray was yeah. for ping pong in the early days? It was, we always referred to it as the Ooga Booga space. Um, you know, <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd have, I knew you'd have. That's what we always, what we always called it. Um, Cause you know, destination truth was monsters and ghosts, you know, cryptozoology and that, and that whole space. So that, you know, we became, you know, known as being able to do that successfully. Um, and that then led to our next show because in, we saw a pattern when we started, when we did a lot of Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch stories on Destination Truth, everyone shows up, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone, everyone is fascinated with this tale of this yeah. bipedal creature creeping, you know, creeping along the woods out there. So we, we then took out a show that was eventually became Finding Bigfoot. But as we were pitching it around town, everyone's like, you can't do a series where you're looking for it every week. Like no one's like once is going to work, but I was going to have every yeah. single week. Like no one's going to show up for that. Yeah. And, and we like, we, we, you know, we went around town trying to convince people that it, they would. What was your answer to that? We had a whole song and dance about how, you know, um, you know, Bigfoot is a part of, you know, the American lexicon, you know, there's, there's evil Knievel and there's, you know, I think our other one was like, Pamela Paul, Anderson. Paul, Paul Bunyan. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Bigfoot, right? It's just baked into our into our history. So um, everyone said we were crazy, uh, except Mark at Kine at, at Animal Planet at the time. Yep. He, you know, bless him, said, you know what? I think you're right. And he went to bat and got us some money to shoot a pilot, if I remember right, which we went and shot up in Alaska. And I think as we came back from that, they started seeing the early cuts of it. And they're like, okay. Yeah, this this is it, and we went from there, and then they ordered a series kind of behind it. And how many seasons was that? We did a, over a hundred episodes. Okay, so this is a perfect example. So every network 
is telling you you can't make a series how are you going to make that a format how are you can make that repeatable of every episode looking for bigfoot you come in with passion and a great pitch of why it works and you get that one champion and that's sometimes that's all it takes right one champion you end up making animal planet you said yep yeah you end up making it for animal planet and I'm, i know mark mark's like the greatest you turn in that pilot and they're like okay let's go and a hundred episodes later yeah it's a success but in terms of sustaining and casting that right like walk the audience through who's not familiar like what the format turned out to be in series so the format eventually so once we kind of moved into we had a casting step i believe and we found these four characters who were truly characters i mean in in the ultimate sense so we had these three guys um who were running and this is their life this is part of they have the big field researchers organization this is what they do day in and day out. They've known each other forever. And they will, the same as the sky is blue, there's a Bigfoot in the woods. And there is no, the conviction they have that this is real is, is you can't fake it. Right. You know, and, right. and, and I think that really resonated with the audience. You know, as, as crazy as they may come across sometimes, you also sit there and say, well, I don't know. They seem pretty like, you know, convinced that this right. thing's real. So maybe it is real. Now right. I'm going to get on the, on board for this journey and at least follow them for tonight and right. see what happens. So we paired the three of them with a, with the skeptic of the group, which was a scientist, a biologist based out of Seattle. Um, so we put the four of them together and it just, it was one of those things. It just worked, you know, their, their dynamic and their look and their feel and their conviction became this appointment viewing, especially for families. It was a Sunday night show mm. and the ratings were all, we, what we could see from the research is these, these people found a show that they could sit down with their young kids. Mm. The kids were fascinated by kids it. Kids love Bigfoot. The, the, the parents got a kick out of the characters and it was a wholesome, like fun, but, like suspension of real life for, for an hour every week. But in the format, was it that they're going to a different location where there's been spottings and are these historical spottings or like present day spottings? This is present day stuff. Yeah. And it always, there was two big format pieces that made that show really work. I think one was we always started an episode with a new piece of evidence, a video from a cop car, uh, a new recording, Smart. a news piece. So that always got you in, mm -hmm. right? So that got you into the location. Say it's outside of Charlotte. The other big format piece of that was, we would have a town hall meeting for all these episodes where we brought the entire town together at city hall and everyone would come in and it's the, the, the cast would sit there and they would start out every single meeting by say, raise your hand. If you've had an experience with Bigfoot and every single time, 60, 70% of those hands in the audience went up and that just kicks you off into like, well, maybe that maybe they are seeing right. Bigfoot. Like, what are all these people in on some scam? Is that is that mayor of town who says he's seen one, or the police chief saying that he's had an encounter with one? Like, are they all lying to us? I mean, it reminds me of the scene in Jaws. Right. Is that something you guys discussed amongst yourself, like that town hall meeting? And yeah, I'm together? sure that I'm sure that that kind of uh, you know seeped into our world a little bit a little bit when we were coming up with it. But it was such a powerful visual, yeah. right? And then they'd go on to each individually tell us their stories. And then we would go into the field after the meeting and follow up on their stories. So that was it. So as the self-described, uh, you know, Ooga Booga man. Yeah. Uh, you've done that Ghost Nation as well, you know, Travel Channel series. And obviously Expedition Unknown, a lot of mystery and adventure treasure. What do you personally 
Casey. I don't know what you're allowed to say here, but what do you personally believe in? Because I had I had uh, Jim Casey on an episode of the podcast. Yeah. Obviously, a Painless Productions has done a ton of supernatural sure. ghost shows. And what he told me is he was basically saying, look, all I can tell you is through the course of some of the productions I've done, there's just some stuff I can't explain. That's kind of where he left it. He's like, I'm not going to just tell you I believe that a ghost, I believe. But he told me like a very specific anecdote of something that just blew his mind on set where there was a character in a house who somehow had a spirit tell them where like something was located within the house. Okay. And they had like vetted the house, rigged the house. Like there was no smoke and mirrors. And to this day, he's like, to this day, like I can't explain what that is other than somebody having a gift for channeling somebody on the other side. Yeah. So for you personally, after all the shows you've done, all the experts, all the people that believe in all these different genres, what do you personally walk away with today? When you get asked this at dinner parties. Well, I'm going to have a very similar answer, I think, because mm-hmm. it, it is there are experiences that I've had, whether it be in the UFO space, which we've done a lot of shows on the ghost space um, and even some of the Bigfoot stuff that you just there's no other way to explain it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I believe it, but looking at it and trying to poke holes in it, you can't. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I remember why we were shooting at a, an old children's hospital, in oh, one of the Jesus. ghost series we were doing. Oh, Jesus. And we caught a visual of what looked like a little kid spirit just sitting there. I just got shivers thinking about it. And I just don't let it's in a white dress. Like, I don't know how else you can explain that. Right. You know, um, we came across a set of when we were filming Destination Truth, we were up in the way up in the Himalayas looking for Yeti. And in the middle of the night, eight days into hiking up this mountain, we came across a set of tracks that cannot be explained to this day. And it became to huge, this day, really, it became huge international news. Um, and it was it was really freaky. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of the night. No one knew where we we're going to go. No one knew where we we're going to be. And we found a section of three kind of half footprints. Um, that we had tested and scanned and, you know, the experts, I'll use that with quotes on Bigfoot, say this is full on. You know, there's there's dermal bridges. There was basically like fingerprints that they could pick up on in there. So and I, it, I don't know how you explain that. That's unbelievable. You just gave me chills with yeah. that. Because that is, that is one of those things that you're all the way up there that can't be planted. Yes. There has to be an explanation. Right. And no one can explain what that is. No. Um, all right. So you guys... Make your bones. You're you're highly successful making all these shows across these genres. And how does Doctor Pimple Popper <laughs> enter the picture? Because you know you look at people's resumes and you're like, oh yeah, like Expedition Unknown makes so much sense, right? Yeah. You look at Expedition Unknown and what a juggernaut that has been. Like, congrats to you and like, so much success on that show. And the the connection with Josh Gates now makes so much sense. But you look at Expedition Unknown and that is like. Michael Jordan's like, you know, 93 season or something. You know what I mean? That's like the culmination of all the reps, all the games, all the battles that went into that. And you get this like masterpiece. But then you look at Dr. Pimple Popper and it could not be further from what the quote unquote ping pong brand was at the time. Right. So tell me how this walked in your door and how you guys first got in front of Dr. Sandra Lee. Um, So our, our development team at the time had sent me, I think, a YouTube clip on her and uh I said you know as they do right they, they're kind of spitballing anything out there and I was like yeah yeah this is 
this is I like this. This is something. <laughs> let's let's get her on the phone. Let's let's call her. We got her on the. They got her on the phone. Of course, as it happens every single time, she'd already been reached out to twelve times that week. Like you know, you. I don't know. I don't know how you become the first one to call. We are never the first ones to right. call. We're always 10, 10 deep in because um, people are so good at finding this stuff. But, um, you know, a bunch of people reached out and, you know, then then you have to start putting on the charm. You know, then you got to start like talking to her and her husband and, you know, figuring out what their concerns are. Do they even want to do a show? What would right. that look like? And so it became this courting process, you know, as as things tend to do when you can find good talent that you really believe in and think you can make something out of. And we eventually, you know, just kept the relationship going forward and eventually, you know, became the company that they felt comfortable with to move forward with trying to go out and sell a show. So tell me what the pitch consisted of. The pitch consisted of, if I remember, I pitched it at real screen for the first time. Okay. Um, I don't remember this. It must have been back in the D.C. days for sure. Well, where was it after D.C.? Before, before D.C. was New Orleans for set for two what, years was there not a place before new orleans i don't know why i thought there was a place before new orleans but no i, I guess not so. it was so dc to new orleans so it was in dc you know this pro was probably i don't know six or seven years ago okay um so i brought it here it was a, a tape a very gross tape of her youtube clips put together and and i think an interview with her okay you know and um you know was people didn't know what to say <laughs> Like they had, they, like their mouths were a gasp at this thing, at this tape, because it was so out there at the time. Yeah. You know, this was like stuff that people had never really seen before. You know, and to Sandra's credit, like she was the first to really start putting this gross content online and quickly found out that there is a very large and very weird grouping of people who like to watch this stuff. And they, and they find it, it became, it was so interesting as the show went on, everyone who found out that I made that show would say, oh my gosh, I watch it at night before I go to bed. It's super calming. Like I'll watch 10 minutes of it and it just puts me like in this calm state. The psychology of that, <laughs> I, I have, don't have enough time to dig into why. Um, if you ever have a psychologist on board, ask them. But people find that that manner, that like extraction process very soothing. But the thing that I think I'm so impressed with is how you had to build the format to sustain for long form. Because obviously I get why the clips, you know, and like a, a viral YouTube video. I mean, we see these all the time. We see these like viral trends or like, a, but that doesn't make a show. That doesn't make a right. series, right? So talk to me about at what stage in the pilot making process, if there was a pilot, explain to me when you kind of had to crack that format of like, how are we going to sustain a runtime for TLC? Right. So... Well, let me tell you about the process of getting it even to that, to that space, space because it was a very long one. Please. So, um, you know, I, Ten, wait, was it a ten thousand dollar development step to start from TLC? Uh, let me think. Well, probably in that space, but yeah. but but the story gets even more. Uh, it's a rocky road. So, at some point, TLC's like, okay, we're kind of interested in this. Like, what would the show look like? To, you know, to your point, right. like, how do you, how do you? I mean, listen, there was a. As we see with TikTok, there's a lot of amazing content right. out there, right. but it's only good content for 12 seconds. That's what I'm saying. Seconds. So, That's right. So, I, you know, to their credit, um, you know, we worked on trying to figure out what that would be. Um, so we did a little bit of paper development as a first step. And I think if I remember right, a little bit of casting, you know, just to see what kind of patience 
other kind of things we could see. Um, we turned that in. The network TLC ended up passing. It wasn't. Oh. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was too out there. It was too bizarre. It wasn't going to work. Oh. For them. We gave it a little time. We went back to the back to the drawing board with them. And um, you know, our agent um, Hayden Meyer put in some calls and really kept working Howard a lot. Um, and you know, to Howard's credit, he always loved the show. He was getting some resistance from above him, but he kept on it too. So I think we did okay. another another step of development, um, trying to flush this out. Maybe even like a four minute tape that was eventually passed on as well. So now we are kind of two strikes on this thing. And, um, and how different was the format pitch the second time from what you had turned in the first time? Like, was the only difference the materials? I, not I, the if format? I mean, this is, a long, this is yeah, yeah, yeah. a long time ago. I think it was just like we did like a five or six or maybe an eight minute tape. So it was right? like, okay, you couldn't do it with the paper. So let's try to give you guys like a chance to do a longer, yeah. s- longer sizzle right. that we can share internally. And they pass on that. Yeah. And I think the feedback was, is that, you know, the the higher ups are just like, we just don't get this. Like who's going to want to watch this. Um, and then I think at that point, that's when Howard really went to bat and he, he started doing his magic internally and um, you know, uh, cause he believed in it and he thought there was really something to it. So he went to bat, he, you know, scraped together some money to go do a pilot. And he's like, you know, I'll pull this thing off. I believe in it. You guys can do it. So we got a little bit of money. We went and did a pilot. And um, it was going to be an airing pilot. You okay. know, I don't think I don't know if that happens a whole lot anymore these so days. So it was like a backdoor special. Yeah, it was like a, exactly. It was like a special, okay. right? But you know, to to test to see if the market would would respond to it. Oh, jeez. And um, and then Howard knows this is my one shot because if you just do a non-airing pilot, it can be yeah. viewed internally by the same naysayers, and they'll just kill it. Right. So basically, I'm just you know I'm just yeah. projecting here, but like it seems like Howard's thought was. I've got to get it to the people. Right. Because if we get it to the people, we will see, or my bosses will see, that there is a legion of folks out there that watch these videos that right. have this weird obsession with these types of things. Right. And I think Howard know, knew that, right? Because yeah. you could see by her YouTube views. You know, she was getting right. millions of views. So it's like somebody's tuning in to watch this kind of stuff. So we got the money for the pilot. And then, you know, we really worked with with Howard and his team and Mike Kane, who was at TLC, who was an amazing exec over there, to figure out what this thing was, you know, and how many we're going to do an episode. And then really, you know, put that TLC spin on it of making it about the people and mm. their journey. Mm. You know, these are people who, you know, this ailment that they have, this seven pound, you know, lipoma on their shoulder is holding them back from something, mm. you know, work, friendships, relationships, whatever it is. So we really you know, formed a thing and manufactured it to follow the journey of these three or four people every episode mm. and how Sandra Lee, through her very caring and calm and amazing bedside nature, was able to help them, you right. know, and then we would see them on the other side. So unbelievable. Yeah. So tell me the defining moment when you knew that Dr. Pimple Popper was going to penetrate our pop culture and be a giant deal. Uh, well, what was that moment? You're like, oh, my God, when the ratings came in from the pilot. <laughs> It was it was gangbusters ratings. I don't remember what they were, but they were like people were were jumping up and down left and right over there. So that was, you know, Howard was right. He believed in it. He pushed it through and, and the audience showed up. How, they showed up in huge numbers. And then how many episodes did they order that season one? Do you remember? How many how many episodes is it now? Um, we are 
I think we're probably getting close to a hundred episodes at that on that as oh well. I think we're we're in season five, and there's you know about twenty every every year. So Dude. yeah, so congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Uh, I should have asked this at the top, but I got to know because I actually don't know the answer, and I don't know if my audience knows the answer. Why ping pong? We so on that show that, that I told you about the bread and I did around the world. This is not a great story, but. It became a running joke that no matter where we were, like we were in the middle of the Amazon jungle, we were in like at Everest base camp, no matter where we were, we kept running into ping pong tables. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. Like it was the weirdest thing. It became this running joke to be, you know, between the crew. And it just was one of those <laughs> stupid things. We're like, oh, this is called ping pong productions. So I wish there was a much better story involved that, that, that you know, one of us was a, an, a, an all state ping pong player in high school, but right. no, there's just, there's, there's not a great story. <laughs> okay. right, right. Fair, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, all right. So b- before we go, what is, what is the next phase for, for ping pong in terms of like what is coming out soon? What are areas that you're like trying to venture into? Tell me what you've learned running a company given like where we are in this, in this business, like obviously you do a lot of work for discovery, that whole uh, conglomerate has gone through some changes. I don't know if you've read, I don't know if you've read, <laughs> I don't know uh, if you've heard some stories, Casey, but, um, and by the way, I will reference Dr. Pimple Popper. I'll be like, what does it say about our industry about Hollywood that the company that brought the world, Dr. Pimple Popper somehow now owns HBO, Warner Brothers, you know, Hanna-Barbera and like all these like giant legacy <laughs> right, right, right. DC comics, like all these like giant Hollywood institutions. It discovery obviously took, took it all over. Right. Yeah. Where does the path go from here? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, listen, I, I think we have always tried to stay very nimble in our approach. You know, there, there was a point in time where we had a huge development staff and we had casting people on payroll and we had all these people trying to like find the next thing and what's the next show. And, and we have had times where we've had no one working in development, you know, where I'll just kind of spearhead that for a while. We currently have one person working in development who kind of works with me developing new things. One person. That's incredible. I mean, considering how big your slate is, the fact that you have one development body and you're still selling and setting up as much as you do. I mean, it's so impressive. You know, it's, thank you. It's, it's just one of those things. And that may change, right? That may, that may grow in, 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 you know, the next six months, who knows what happens, but you know, we started looking at the landscape and it's getting continually harder to sell continually harder to you know get traction on projects and those development teams and people are they're not cheap you know right. that's an expensive price tag so we just started looking at other ways to find shows and other why other ways to set things up mm. you know and i think that is we've had some success with copros you yeah. know we were we have been for years always have this mentality that like listen no matter how many people we have working for us we only have so many tentacles out there in the world there's right. only so many stories and articles and interesting people we can turn up. But, you know, if you have people out there that, you know, you can set up very fair and good deals with, like that to us is like, well, that's a found show, right? If we can get that to work. So we have been for years doing co-pro deals with people and, you know, just setting that up as a model because that extends our reach, that extends our tentacles that are out there to find interesting stories. So, you know, we, we, we rely on that for some stuff and, you know, the last couple of years have not necessarily been a very um, seller's market. So, <laughs> yes. you know, I, like do, you know, we made the decision, well, let's pare back on development because 
if people aren't buying anything right now, right. let's wait. Wait and, the storm out. And by the way, with as much volume as you guys have, as many shows as you already have running through your walls, you can afford to cut down one department for a while. Yeah. And still look very profitable on paper, just having productions running through and maybe not focusing as much on new sales. Yeah. 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 Especially when there aren't really sales happening. Right. You know, so, you know, I think hopefully in the new year here, as discovery starts to get the dust settles over there and they start to figure out what their direction is with everything, as well as all the other networks. Right. I don't yeah. I don't I think that discovery merger and I've talked to a couple of people about this this week that rippled through the industry. It wasn't just affecting discovery, right? Yeah. I think I think all the oh, yeah. buyers out there were kind of like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes and let's, we gotta figure out what's happening here yeah. in the whole ecosystem of the unscripted space. So I, I think it affected, inadvertently affected a lot of buyers out there, you know, as they tried to figure out, well, okay, well, what's our directive now? What are we gonna do? Casey, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Good to meet you. Appreciate it. Yeah.